Greetings. As 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 reminds us, currently Satan is the god of this world. He is a deceiver. He's a liar. And because the world is currently under Satan's influence, the vast majority of humanity does not have a true understanding of God's plan of salvation for mankind. We who have been called into God's church, we are to have Christ living in us, as Galatians 2 verse 20 reminds us. As we begin the sermon today, let's turn to John 6 verse 51, John 6 verse 51, which also makes a similar point that we as Christians should have Christ living in us. Here in John 6, verse 51, Jesus Christ records, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, we know, of course, that Jesus Christ did give his flesh for the life of the world. He was that perfect Passover sacrifice. But as we begin the sermon today regarding the meanings behind the Day of Atonement, I wanted to begin with this important point, that currently Satan is the God of the world who deceives the world. But true Christians should have Christ living in them. We should be feeding on Christ, the bread of life. And Christ's will and God's law is expressed, as we all understand, through the pages of your Bible, through the Holy Scripture. We are to feed on Christ daily, and we are to learn as we go through the annual Holy Days a deeper, deeper understanding of the plan of salvation that God is working out here on this earth. So we in God's church are called now, and we are being judged now. We are being judged now. I mentioned at the very beginning of the sermon that 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, reminds us that Satan is currently the God of this world. And that's an appropriate introduction to a sermon regarding the Feast of, the, of Atonement, regarding the Day of Atonement. Because Satan will be removed from the, his rulership of this world when the Day of Atonement is fulfilled in the future. But I also mentioned that the Day of Atonement uh, is about judgment, that we are currently... Uh, being judged. Those of us that God has called are being judged now. The world is not being judged now, at least as far as eternal life goes, but we are being judged now. And that's also an, an appropriate introduction to a sermon about the Day of Atonement, because the Day of Atonement is also about judgment. Now, I mentioned that the world is not being judged, at least as far as eternal life goes. And we'll explore that more throughout the remainder of the sermon. But this allows us to reflect on a third point, that the Day of Atonement is also about love. The Day of Atonement is also about love. You know, God has called us. He's given us understanding. He's put in place his holy days, which show his plan of salvation for humanity. And he is judging us now, those of us, in his church, in the church of God. But he's not judging those outside of the church, at least as far as eternal life goes. Sure, if people break God's laws, then there are consequences. But we in the church of God are being judged now. 
and those outside are not yet being judged as far as eternal life is concerned. This brings me to the first point, uh, major point that I would like to discuss today uh, during the Day of Atonement. And that is the fact that there are three great ages of judgment. Three great ages of judgment. The Bible reveals that there are three great ages of judgment. Why am I beginning the sermon today discussing this? Well, because again, the Day of Atonement is also about judgment. It's about Satan being removed uh, as the God of this world. It is about judgment. It's also about love. And we'll see uh, this, these themes develop throughout the sermon today, hopefully. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, perhaps a scripture that you're familiar with. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. Important for us to remember here as we study and pray and think and meditate about the meaning of the Day of Atonement and really our purpose as Christians in the church of God. 1 Peter 4, verse 17. Here Peter records, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment is beginning now, has begun already for those of us in the house of God, in the church of God, in God's church. Today, we are being judged. How do we live our lives? How do we behave towards our family? How do we keep God's Sabbath? Do we put in our time uh, and joyfully put in our time praying and studying the scripture? Are we giving? Are we kind? Are we attentive to the holy days? Do we keep the holy days holy uh, as we're commanded to in the Bible? We're being judged today. But the rest of the world uh, is not being judged today regarding the inheriting eternal life. They've not been called. Their minds have not been opened yet. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 11, and we will see that there is a future Uh, time of judgment. There's a future time. Isaiah chapter 11. And let's notice here in verse um, 9, Isaiah 11, verse 9. So today the church is being judged. We are growing, hopefully, in righteousness. But as we know, there will come a time after Christ's return, where which is known as the millennium, the millennium or the beginning of the kingdom of God on this earth. And here in Isaiah 11, verse 9, we read a little bit about that. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So you see, today we have the knowledge of the Lord, those of us in God's church. But the rest of the world is, be, is deceived, has been deceived by Satan the devil. And again, as we'll show as we move through the sermon, the Day of Atonement is also about Satan the devil being removed so that he could no longer deceive the the world. And here in Isaiah 11, verse 9, we have a glimpse into that wonderful future where Satan will have been removed temporarily here. We know he'll be released temporarily at the end of the millennium. We'll talk about that later. But here in Isaiah 11, verse 9, 
you have another age of judgment when the people that live then will have access to God's truth. They won't be deceived anymore. Let's turn forward to Revelation 20, verse 2. Revelation 20, verse 2. Here we have additional insight about the millennium. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 2. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And uh, we'll go back, of course, to Leviticus, and we'll read about the ancient uh, ceremony, what God instructed Aaron and the ancient Israelites to do on the Day of Atonement, which foreshadowed what will happen to Satan in the not-too-distant future. So here, Revelation 20, verse 2, Um, This mighty angel, he lays hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, uh, who is the devil and Satan, and binds him for a thousand years. Verse 3, he cast him into the bottomless pit. We're going to talk a little bit about the bottomless pit later in the sermon, the abyss. And shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should, notice this, deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished, but after these things he must be released for a little while. So here we see the second age of judgment, and this will be a wonderful time when Satan will be again, as the Bible makes clear, restrained, and the millions of people that live during the millennium. There will be generations after generations. You know, human life will not be totally wiped out during the great tribulation. There will be some. Who will, who will survive, as the Bible makes clear. And those people will, will live and have children and grow up and be taught God's way, just like we have the opportunity to be taught and practice God's way today. So that's the second time of judgment. <clears throat> now, the third great age of judgment is referenced in a few uh, scriptures in your Bible, but since we're in Revelation 20, let's drop down to verse 11. And here we have reference to the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, verse 11. And this is after the thousand years. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it uh, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great, standing before God. Now, what's happening here? Well, here we have the dead who were resurrected or who will be resurrected standing before God. And books uh, were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So here we have books, Biblios, the the Bible, the, 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 the scriptures that are opened. And the dead will be judged against God's law. And the dead will live and they will most likely, this will be a hundred year uh, period and the dead will live and they will be judged. And this is the great white throne judgment. Let's read a little bit more about this period of time. Let's turn back to Ezekiel chapter 37. So you see, as we <clears throat> begin the sermon today regarding the, uh, the day of atonement, It's important for us to understand, brethren, that we are being judged now. We are potential first fruits. And what a wonderful privilege it is to have this understanding that God has revealed to his church, that that 
you know, the rest of the world is not going to be lost for, forever. God has a plan. And again, the holy days reveal God's plan. So all who have ever lived will have a chance. We have our chance today. Satan is blinding the rest of the world today, but he'll be removed during that second period of judgment, the millennium. But then he'll be uh, released for a short amount of time and we'll have the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennium. And that's the final uh, period of judgment. Ezekiel 33 verse 1 We're all probably familiar with the Valley of Dry Bones passage, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of dry bones. We won't read every uh, verse here, but we know that Ezekiel saw all of these bones, and in verse 2, he said they were very dry, and then verse 3 Ezekiel is asked, can these bones live? And he gives really uh, the right answer. Uh, He says, oh, Lord God, you know, you know. And then verse four, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Verse five, thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And then verses six and seven uh, talk about, how the flesh is put back on them and they they come up, you know, with a great rattling noise. And verse nine, uh, he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So clearly these uh, were people who, who were dead. It was a great multitude of people. And you notice in verse 11, Uh, Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, the whole house of Israel. All of those who had ever lived, who had not been called by God and made it as first fruits. So they are going to come up and verse 12 prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my peoples. I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. They are resurrected to mortality. They're resurrected to mortality, to human life. And verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, uh, that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. So here we have a little insight into that third uh, period, that third great age of judgment, which we often refer to as the great white throne judgment. Now today, as I mentioned already, we are being judged. Uh, Those of you who are watching this sermon, uh, if you're watching it on the day of of atonement, you're fasting and you're committing yourself to extra prayer and Bible study. And we know that we really examine ourselves, not just before the Passover, but also before and during the Day of Atonement. It is a solemn, uh, holy day. And we are fasting, we are studying the Scripture, we're praying more, we're afflicting our souls, and we are asking God to write His law in our hearts and in our minds. Uh, We know, as 1 John 5, verse 3 uh, tells us, that 
we love God and show him that love by keeping his law, by keeping his commandments. And of course, the Day of Atonement is one of God's statutes. It's a law that we are to keep the Day of Atonement. And the holy days show God our obedience to him, and they show us God's plan of salvation. And so we're going to spend some time talking about the holy days and then spend more time talking about the Day of Atonement in particular. Why do I keep mentioning that the holy days show God, show us God's plan of salvation? And why uh, do I mention that God loves us and that the Day of Atonement is not just about Satan being removed and it's not just about judgment, but that it also reveals God's love for us? Well, God does love the world. Uh, he sent his son to die for the world. But God is also a fair and just God. He's not a cruel God. He's not going to condemn people to everlasting hellfire who have never had their eyes open, who have never been called. The Bible does not, does not support that theory. God will give everyone a chance. God is a God of love. As a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Meredith uh, mentioned in a sermon, it's sermon number 527. If you go to the website, you can find it. <clears throat> and uh, the sermon title is Jesus, Our Savior, High Priest, and Friend. And Dr. Meredith made a wonderful statement there, very true. He said, God does, God does love us and God never gives up on us. If we give up on him, that's our problem but he never gives up on us, end of quote. The annual holy days are a reminder that God has a plan of salvation, a plan for mankind to be saved. And he's working out that plan on this earth today. And we're part of that plan today. Hopefully you and I, we're in God's church. We're obedient to his laws, not perfectly, but we try and we are <clears throat> preparing ourselves uh, for that coming kingdom that we yearn for and hope for. And so we're part of that plan of salvation, and the holy days reveal God's plan of salvation. Let's spend some time talking about God's holy days. Very briefly, we'll overview them. Uh, this gets me to the second major point that I want to discuss today with you. The Day of Atonement, of course, is the fifth of the seven holy days. It's sort of towards the, the, the second part of the Holy Day season. And so let's begin with the beginning. We know that Colossians 2 verse 17 reminds us that the Holy Days are a shadow or a substance uh, of things to come. They foreshadow things to come. So let's briefly review the seven annual Holy Days and see where the Day of Atonement fits in them. Of course, the first <clears throat> Holy Day season. It begins with Passover. Passover pictures the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. Uh, John 1 verse 27 might be one scripture we could turn to briefly. Let's just turn there. We won't spend a lot of time on each of the holy days because I want to save time for the Day of Atonement and spend more time discussing uh, the lessons we should learn from that particular holy day. But notice here in John 1, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So 
We don't have time to go through all the meaning regarding the Passover season, but but Jesus Christ uh, was that perfect Passover sacrifice. And through his crucifixion, through his perfect life, his death and his resurrection, uh, he has made it possible for sin to be forgiven. He's the propitiation for sin. Let's turn briefly to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, still talking about the meaning of the Passover. Revelation 5 verse 6. And here we have the lamb taking the scroll. You know, who's worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? As Revelation 5 verse 2 asks, we'll drop down to Revelation 5 verse 6. I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures and and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and uh, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so here we also see Christ represented as a lamb, and he is, he, he is the lamb that was slain. And so Passover is the beginning of that salvation process. Without Jesus Christ, who was God, he became flesh, and he lived a perfect life and then died uh, for our sins, without that having uh, happened, then the rest of the holy days, you, you couldn't really continue through that process, could you? So it begins with Christ's sacrifice to remove sin, to pay the price for sin. Then, of course, we come to the seven days of unleavened bread. The seven days of unleavened bread. Uh, this pictures the removing of sin from our lives, the removing of leaven, the, the leaven of malice and and uh, strife and wickedness, whatever sins uh, we're still working on to purge those from our lives and to replace uh, those sins with, as 1 Corinthians uh, 5, uh, you can read uh, verses 6 and 7 and 8 and 9, talk about this, to replace those sins with sincerity, with truth. So as Christians, we're going forward in that process, aren't we? We've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior. We have asked for forgiveness of sins. Uh, We've been baptized, had hands laid on us. And now we are trying to grow in righteousness and put that old self behind us to fully put that old self to death, which is what the baptism ceremony pictures in part. Then we come to the Feast of First Fruits, which is also known as Pentecost. Pentecost pictures that small harvest, uh, those people who are begotten now, begotten with God's Holy Spirit, not born again yet, not born again yet, but begotten, begotten with the Holy Spirit. And we are hopefully going to be the first fruits that are resurrected at Christ's return, or if we're still alive, changed at Christ's return. James makes a famous comment about that. James 1, verse 18, we can Notice that James uh, describes us being a type of first fruits of his creatures. And so if you are a true Christian, if you're uh, baptized into the body of Christ, then you are a first fruit or you're a type of first fruit of his creatures. James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so that's 
uh, briefly what Pentecost pictures. And then, of course, we come to the Feast of Trumpets, which points prophetically to Christ's powerful uh, second coming when Christ will return uh, with the, the, the blast of a trumpet. Let's notice back here in Matthew 24, Matthew 24. And we'll just notice a couple verses. Let's read verse 31, Matthew 24, uh, verse 31. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven uh, to the other. So, so the elect, the saints, the chosen ones, uh, which your, your margin may, may, may say chosen ones, uh, they will be gathered. And, of course, that happens at Christ's return. We can turn forward a familiar, familiar scripture to you, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And notice in verse 13. Uh, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So Paul is talking clear, clearly about those who have, who have died, those who have died. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have been, who were faithful during their lives, then Christ will bring them with him. Uh, verse when he returns verse 15 for this we say to you by the word of the lord so paul's being very authoritative here isn't he and he says by the word of the lord uh, i'm telling you this that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the lord will by no means precede those who are asleep who are dead now you know this wasn't uh, a reference to to christ uh you know being born uh, as a baby, this is a reference to his second coming. And Paul's saying, for those of us who are alive, uh, we will not precede those who are asleep. Verse 15, those who uh, are dead will rise first. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in, fir- the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with uh, always with the Lord. So when this event happens, the dead will rise first and then a split second later, or maybe it's two seconds later. The Bible doesn't say exactly, but you know, very quickly after the uh, dead rise, then those who are alive will be changed and will be made immortal spirit beings, sons of God at that point. And we will be with Christ forever. We'll remain with him always. No more death. No more death uh, for those who inherit eternal life and become first fruits at Christ's return. So a little bit on trumpets. Then we get to the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. Let's go ahead and turn back to Leviticus 16. We'll be spending some more time in Leviticus 16 later in the sermon, but let's, let's... introduce the Day of Atonement now at this point. The Day of Atonement pictures many things. One of the very important things that it pictures or very important events that it pictures is the removal, the binding and removal of Satan. You know, Satan was uh, at one time a beautiful uh, cherub or cherub and he was beautiful. He was 
uh, glorious. He had a, a high position in God's government. But as we know, he rebelled. Uh, pride and vanity took over and he rebelled against God. And he has poisoned mankind ever since, uh, ever since Adam and Eve. He's poisoned mankind. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. And he has blinded uh, the, 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 the minds of, of 99% or whatever the percentage is of humanity. Only a very small percent of people uh, know the truth about God's plan of salvation as revealed through Scripture and through the holy days. And so we are really reviewing something that maybe you understand very well, but please remember how precious this is. This is very precious truth. And most of the world, they don't understand this. They think that when people die, they go to hell, or maybe they go to heaven right then, or maybe there's no God. They, they, don't, they don't understand what hopefully you uh, do understand. So the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, verse 8. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Leviticus. Um, here in verse 8, we see that Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. Now, don't worry, we're going to come back to Leviticus 16 later and go through this chapter more slowly. I'm just introducing the Day of Atonement at this point. We see here that Aaron, in verse 8, shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the Azazel goat, the goat that would represent Satan. So here we see the selection of the two goats. Verse 10, uh, but the goat on which the lot fell to be the Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and it and to let it go as Azazel into the wilderness, into the wilderness. And we're going to talk about this more later, but we know that when that mighty angel binds Satan and removes him into the abyss, uh, that's what this foreshadowed those thousands of years ago. Let's notice in verse 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering. This is the other goat, which is for the, the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And we'll, we'll come back, back to Leviticus 16 later. But there are two goats. One pictures Satan, and the sins are placed on him, and he goes out into the wilderness. And the other goat uh, pictures Christ, and there are also uh, our sins that are placed on him. And he pays the, the payment for those sins. You know, in a way, there's some similarity with Passover, isn't there? You know, there's some similarity. With Passover, Jesus Christ is the lamb. Here, he's pictured as a goat. He pays the price for our sins. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Revelation 20, verse 1. Then I saw the angel come down from heaven. And we're, we're just going to draw our attention one more time to the fact that, that this angel has the key to the bottomless pit. Verse 2, he lays hold of the dragon, that serpent of old. Verse 3, he binds him and shuts him up so he can't deceive anymore. He's cast out into the abyss. And that's what we just saw foreshadowed uh, back there in Leviticus chapter 16. You know, in Leviticus 16, we see that Aaron offers the blood of a young bull uh, as a sin offering for himself and for his family. Leviticus 16.3. We see 
that Aaron offers a ram as a burnt offering for himself as well in Leviticus 16.3. And then there's these two goats. And we also know that there's a second ram as well. God gave Aaron very specific instructions regarding how to do the sacrifices that were required to make atonement and propitiation for the sins of Israel. I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to Leviticus 16 in a moment. And we're going to notice something that I think is important for us to remember today, that God gave Aaron very specific instructions and he gives us specific instructions today. We no longer sacrifice animals. You know, Jesus Christ, as Hebrews makes clear, he was uh, the sacrifice once and for all uh, for sin. We don't sacrifice uh, animals for sin today. You don't see that example by the apostles or by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But I want to draw your attention to the fact that there were certain instructions, certain specific instructions that God gave Aaron. And Aaron was to carry out those instructions in a specific way. And we'll come back to that point in just a moment. And I think you'll see why it's important for us to uh, draw our attention to that. Now, after the Day of Atonement, we have the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, of course, pictures the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. Let's notice in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, many scriptures we could turn to uh, that reference the, the millennium, the coming kingdom of God. Notice here in Luke 12, verse 32, Luke 12, verse 32. Here we see that Jesus Christ says, do not fear little flock, speaking about us, speaking to us, the the church. Do not fear little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you the kingdom. And here Christ is referencing the coming kingdom of God, that God wants us in his kingdom. And that, of course, begins with the millennium and Christ's return. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Revelation 20, verse 4. We were in Revelation 20 earlier, but we stopped around verse 3. Let's notice in verse 4. What was Jesus Christ talking about when he mentioned in Luke 12, 32, that it's his father's good will to give us the kingdom? Well, the answer is found in a number of places, but especially right here in Revelation 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones. So this is what John sees in vision. I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned that the Day of Atonement is also about judgment. And we're being judged today. We're being judged in God's church. We know right versus wrong. We know that the Sabbath is Saturday. It's a holy day. We're not to work on it. We know that we are to practice, you know, and grow in uh, the fruits of the Spirit, forgiving others and being kind and patient, uh, becoming more loving towards others. We're being judged in these ways. And notice right here in Revelation uh, 20, verse 4, these people, they did not worship the beast or his image. They had not received his mark 
on their foreheads or on their hands. They were judged as acceptable to God, weren't they? They were judged and they passed that judgment. They live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were, were finished. Uh, this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Those who are called by God now, who live righteously, who overcome, those who are counted worthy to inherit eternal life, blessed are those. You know, over them, the second death has no power. You know, we're being judged today, and we hope to make it <clears throat> into the kingdom of God at Christ's return and be part of that first resurrection. And this, of course, then <clears throat> gets us to the last holy day, the last great day. Let's turn back to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Again, just an overview of the holy days. But I, I felt, brethren, that it was important to review the holy days. This is a, a precious truth that we in God's church understand, how God's holy days reveal his plan of salvation. And the day of atonement's kind of there in the middle. And it's critical, just like all of the holy days, just like each of them are. <clears throat> but to understand the day of atonement better, I think is important to review the whole holy day plan. And then we'll come back to the day of atonement and drill in in more detail. John 7, verse 37. On the last day, <clears throat> that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, here we have Jesus Christ on the uh, opening night of the last great day. There's, some, there's been confusion, uh, innocent confusion sometimes about uh, this passage here, uh, you know, verses 37 through chapter 8, because chapter 8, verse 2 talks about early in the morning, he comes again to the temple. That's the last great day, um, but that's the, the second half of that day. That's the morning time um, of that day. And when do uh, days begin, according to God? Well, at evening, at evening, right? So here we have in verse 37, uh, the evening service beginning the last great day. <clears throat> and Jesus Christ uh, says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If in, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so <clears throat> verse 39 reveals that he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Now, the Holy Spirit then was made generally available on Pentecost. And we have access to the Holy Spirit now. We have the Holy Spirit in us if we've been baptized and fully repented, had, had hands laid on us. And so here we see Christ speaking uh, on the last great day. <clears throat> Let's turn back to Revelation 20. We're spending a lot of time in Revelation 20, but let's continue the story because we, we didn't get to verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11. Here we have the last great day. Then I saw uh, a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face uh, the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And as we notice at the beginning of the sermon, I saw the dead, small and great. So here we have the resurrection of all of those 
who had ever lived, and they're judged according to um, the, the scriptures. And at that point, they'll be given access to not only the truth, but to God's Holy Spirit, and that will be the third and final age of judgment. So God has a plan that accommodates for everyone ever born. God has an awesome plan. It's an awesome plan of salvation. And this is a precious truth that we understand. And Scripture makes clear that the holy days reveal to us that God has given Jesus Christ to be a propitiation, a a sacrifice, an offering for our sins so that we can have our sins forgiven. And then we can grow and we can become more like Christ. And the, the days of unleavened bread... Uh, talk about that and help us to remember that. And we go through the Holy Day season and we eventually get to, you know, uh, trumpets and Christ's return and, and then tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, and, uh, which pictures the millennium. And there's that awesome plan that we, we, we uh, practice and we, we, we uh, learn from each year as we observe God's Holy Days each year. Let's now go back to Leviticus 20, uh, 16 and let's spend some time studying uh, the Day of Atonement in more detail. I'd like to bring out some lessons for us in the remainder of the the time we have uh, that I I think are very important specifically about the Day of Atonement. We reviewed it, but let's spend some more time here now. Leviticus 16, we're going to begin in verse uh, 29, actually, verse 29. Uh, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. You shall do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who sojourns among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Powerful three verses. A couple points I'd like to make. First of all, we must afflict our souls fast. Do no work on the Day of Atonement. That's the instruction given in Scripture. Now, if you have a serious medical condition, then absolutely talk to uh, your doctor, get uh, professional counsel uh, before you in, embark on a full uh, 24-hour day-long fast. But if you're able to, even if you get a serious, you know, headache or or your stomach hurts, uh, you know, we are to fast on the Day of Atonement unless you have again a a, a serious uh, medical reason why you shouldn't. And if if you do, talk to your doctor and then talk with your minister about that as well. So we are to afflict our souls, to fast. Also, we're to do no work. Uh, The time that we would normally spend preparing food, we can spend that time doing extra prayer. You know, the Day of Atonement is not a day just to lay, uh, you know, on the couch and just feel miserable. Uh, The Day of Atonement is a day to allocate the time that we would have spent preparing food, eating food, cleaning up the dishes. We can allocate more of that time for prayer, and for Bible study. What else do we learn here? It is a solemn rest forever. That word forever is olam, O-L-A-M, olam. 
And that means for time without end, for time without end, forever. It doesn't end. The Day of Atonement was not done away with. The the Day of Atonement is to be kept today, just like it was kept back in the time of ancient Israel. So we learn that it's a holy uh, time. We're not to work. And it is a time to afflict our souls by fasting. We should do more prayer and Bible study. And we are to keep it today. Now, I'd like to go back in the passage just a little bit to verse 21, to verse 21. We read earlier, at least I referenced earlier, how there were the, the, uh, the two uh, goats. And here in verse 21, we see the goat that will picture Satan being banished. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions, concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And this all uh, foreshadows what will happen, what we saw in Revelation 20, what will happen to Satan when that mighty angel binds him and puts him into the abyss. Here we see that sin must be atoned for. Sin must be paid for. The price of sin must be paid. And so there are the two goats. Remember, we have our responsibility when we sin. And so there's Christ's Passover sacrifice for us, isn't there? But also we see in Leviticus 16 regarding the Day of Atonement that there is also a goat there that pictures Jesus Christ. But Satan has his responsibility as well. And he has his role that he plays deceiving. You know, he's a liar and he's a deceiver. And he will be cast out into the abyss. And that's what verse 21 is foreshadowing those thousands of years ago. And this connects directly to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. You know, I think it's interesting. Satan saw this in ancient Israel. He saw this acted out year after year after year. And this is what's going to happen to him. You know, the abyss, the the wilderness... Uh, that word in the Greek is uh, abyssos or uh, A-B-Y-S-S, abyssos. And that's just, it's outer darkness. It is, it is the desolation. And that's where Satan will be removed to, uh, hopefully in not too many years from now. There's a lot of meaning uh, surrounding the Day of Atonement. I mentioned earlier that God gave specific, precise instructions. I'd like to draw your attention to that just very briefly because it's important for us today to be attentive in how we worship God, to be attentive in how we observe his holy days, to be attentive to the meaning of the holy days. I'd like to draw our attention to something here. Notice in Leviticus 16, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at simply any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So you see right here at the very beginning of God's instructions to Moses to be passed on to Aaron about the day of atonement. We see that God wants us to be attentive to the details, doesn't he? You know, we don't keep the Day of Atonement when we feel like it. We keep the Day of Atonement, as verse 29 says, 
in the seventh month on the tenth day of the month. Now, you can fast, and I should fast. We all should fast occasionally throughout the year. Fasting's a tool. Dr. Meredith has written about that, how fasting's a tool. But the Day of Atonement is a specific holy day set aside. It's a statute forever on the seventh month on the tenth day. And so Aaron shouldn't go into the Holy of Holies at any time. Uh, These events are to take place at the appointed time. And then notice here in verse 3, Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. Before Aaron even gets to the goats, he has to bring in a bull and a ram to pay for the sins of his own sins and the sins of his family, his household. Notice verse 4. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body and be girded with a linen sash. You know, God wants us to pay attention to the details. You know, why do we wear nice clothes when we come before God on the Sabbath? Is it to impress each other? No, it's not to impress each other. We come before God dressed nicely because we want to honor God. We want to honor God. You know, churches of the world will often say, you know, come as you are, you know, wear your flip-flops and your Bermuda shorts and your, you know, T-shirt. Well, God wants us to be attentive and respectful. He wants us to honor him in how we worship him. What did God instruct Aaron to do? Did he say, just come in in your dirty, dirty clothes? You know, you've been out working in the garden or you were with your kids uh, playing, you know, basketball, which you shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath anyways, and uh, you're in your, your basketball shorts, come on in to church, come on in to the Holy of Holies. No, put on the linen tunic and the linen trousers, gird yourself with the linen sash. We are in training to be those kings and priests in the world tomorrow. And so we should be attentive to how we worship God. It's at the appointed time. We come before him in the right attitude. We pray to God before we even go into the holy days. Please, God, allow us to be acceptable and presentable to you. We know, we understand that we fall short, we we sin, we fail. But your son, Jesus Christ, he is our Passover. Your son, Jesus Christ, he is that goat who was going to be slaughtered uh, and, and made a sin offering to cover our sins. Notice then that you have the selection in verse 7 of the two goats and they're presented to the Lord. And then, of course, we we already know the the rest of the story that in verse 15, one of the goats uh, will be killed as the sin offering, picturing Christ. And its blood was to be to be brought inside the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Verse 16. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of the transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. You know, we need the day of atonement. We need it. I've, I've sinned, you've sinned, we've all sinned, whether it was a small thing, you know, a, 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 you know, a bad attitude about somebody or whether, you know, you went out and stole, uh, you know, Hopefully nobody did, but you went out and stole a car. You know, sin is sin. And we fall short, don't we? And we need the day of atonement. So it's important how we observe it. It's important when we observe it. 
It's important that we remember uh, the meaning behind it. It's important that we fast and afflict our souls. Let's turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. <clears throat> when we fast, brethren, we're not just fasting to uh, make ourselves miserable and, and, and remind ourselves that we're weak human beings. Um, yes, we are to remind ourselves that we are weak human beings, but that's, that's not the main reason we fast. I'd like to discuss the, one of the purposes of why we fast on the Day of Atonement. And why am I turning to Isaiah 58? Uh, I think you'll see. It's a beautiful passage, and it, it's, a, it's a prophetic passage, uh, and I think it will give us some more insight into the type of fast that God finds acceptable, including when we fast on the Day of Atonement. Isaiah 58 and verse 6. Is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose, to loose the bonds of wickedness. Satan, the devil, has this world bound up in wickedness. He's deceiving the world. He's a murderer, a liar, and the world is a abysmal, terrible place right now because in large part of Satan, the devil. You know, what's going on in Syria? What's going on throughout parts of Africa? What's going on throughout the United States? throughout the civilized, you know, parts of the world, uh, it's an abomination. Whether it's the murders or the war or the false religion or the abortions or the drug abuse or whatever, it's an abomination. And Satan is largely responsible for that, as is depicted by what was done to the Azazel goat. Now, notice here, the fast that God chooses, and we should be fasting on the Day of Atonement, the one he delights in is a fast when we are yearning that God would loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the heavy burdens or the yoke, the bondage, undo that bondage. When will that bondage be undone? When will those heavy burdens be removed? When Satan, the devil, is restrained and put into the abyss, which is what the Day of Atonement pictures. When that mighty angel comes and restrains him and puts him away for a thousand years. And when we fast today, brethren, we should be praying earnestly for that in the model prayer. What's the beginning of that prayer? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. When we fast today, we should be fasting first and foremost for thy kingdom come. And then about the other things that we want help with. You know, help me to overcome uh, my, you know, problem with... Um, you know, uh, whatever it is, you know, uh, losing my temper or, um, you know, uh, again, whatever, whatever it is. <clears throat> Verse seven, and I think you'll find this very interesting. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? What? Share your bread with the hungry? Well, we're fasting. How can we share our bread with the hungry? Have you ever thought about that? What is God inspiring Isaiah to to reveal here in verse 7? Who is the bread? Jesus Christ is the bread. Did Jesus Christ say that he's the bread of life and we should eat on him? Did Jesus Christ say that rivers of living water would flow from those who have him living in them? Yes, he did. To share your bread with the hungry. The truth, the gospel, God's plan of salvation and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out. You know, are we generous, brethren, with our 
not just our tithes, but with our time. Are we generous not just with our offerings, but with our prayers? Today on the Day of Atonement, are we praying for those billions of people that are lost and hope and, and helpless and hopeless today? Are we praying thy kingdom come? Are we praying we want you to send Christ soon so Satan is bound? You know, we understand, dear God, that we've sinned. We need that, uh, that goat to be slain, which pictures Christ to cover our sins. But we want the world to have peace. We want that righteousness that Isaiah talked about to flow throughout and over the earth. Is that part of our prayer? When you see the naked that you cover him and hide not yourself from your own flesh? Verse 8. <clears throat> when I think of verse 8, I think of the first resurrection. I think of the first resurrection. I think of those first fruits that will be resurrected at Christ's return. And those first fruits will go out with Christ, under Christ, and our light will break forth like the morning. Then your light, whose light is it talking about here? It's talking about those who prayed to loose the bonds of wickedness, those who fasted righteously, those who wanted to share Christ with the hungry, those who wanted to be generous and bring more people into God's house into the truth. Those people, hopefully us, our light will break forth like the morning. Your, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This is a prophecy. This is a prophecy about Christ's second coming. And about the first fruits who kept God's Sabbaths, kept God's holy days, who fasted on the Day of Atonement, who yearned for Christ's return, who wanted to share the, the bread, which is Jesus Christ, the truth, the true gospel with the world. This is a prophecy, brethren, about hopefully you and me in the years to come. Returning to this earth with Christ and establishing Christ's kingdom, the kingdom of God on this earth. You know, at that time, Satan will be put away for a thousand years. He'll, he'll no longer be able to deceive. And we'll be part of that team that will help heal the earth. Brethren, let's stay vigilant. Let's stay vigilant. Let's remember that the Day of Atonement has a lot of meaning. It is about judgment. It is about mercy. It is about God's love. It is about Satan being put away. Let's not compromise. Let's not do it our way. Let's keep the Day of Atonement holy. Let's be at Sabbath services on the Day of Atonement to hear the Word of God. Let's commit ourselves to a sincere fast, the type of fast that God wants us to give to Him on the Day of Atonement, to pray that the bonds, the heavy burdens are broken. Let's not ever forget, brethren, that the Day of Atonement, like all of God's holy days, points us to God's plan of salvation. I'd like to wrap up by turning to just a couple scriptures in conclusion.
in conclusion. We talked about the fact that Christ, uh, that, that the church is being judged now. We talked about the fact that, that the millennium is what we look forward to, and that's the second age of judgment. We talked about the, the uh, great white throne judgment. We talked about the fact that the Day of Atonement is a day which pictures many, many things. But I'd like to end on a positive, inspiring note. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I hope that, that the sermon was all you know, positive. But I'd like to conclude with um, a couple scriptures. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. That really hopefully put in context why we're afflicting our souls today. Why we love God's holy days. Why we love his commandments. It's because, brethren, that God has a great plan and we're part of that plan. And victory awaits us. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. Hebrews 2 verse 5. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You know, what is man that you're mindful of him? If we go without food and water for too many days, we'll die. We'll be extinguished. What is man that God is mindful of us? Verse 7. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands and have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. You see, we do not yet see all things that will be put under us. But we see Jesus, who was made a little while, or for a little while, lower than the angels, and and he suffered death. And he's crowned now with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. God has a plan to put us under Christ over all things. We can be there, brethren. We will be there if we understand the meaning of the Day of Atonement and all of God's holy days.